Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 16. It's a really big green button, too. It's so stupid. Sorry, guys. Okay. uh, Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 16. Today, we're going to talk about the canyons, which came out earlier this year, as well as do a review of of our year in podcasting, our first year. Um, So with that, I am Eric Marshall. I am Chris Cullen. I'm Nick Schlegel. And uh, welcome to That's a Wrap. Uh, Just some... Housekeeping stuff. If you want to check the website, uh, that's a wrap show.com. Well, you can leave us comments there if you like. You can rate us on iTunes and all the other good stuff. So um, it's been about a month since we've released an episode, and uh, we haven't seen each other in person, the three of us, since the, uh, the Mitten Project thing um, earlier in the year, which was, uh, which was really cool. You guys want to explain what that was? Uh, sure. The Mitten Movie Project is a independent short film project um, that's uh, basing uh, filmmakers based in Michigan making short films, uh, both narrative, documentary, music video, all sorts of stuff. And they have a monthly um, submission, and then at the end of the year, they have kind of their their grand uh, awards. And we served as jurors for that. That was in uh, Royal Oak, Michigan, at the Main Art Theater which is one of our independent movie houses. And uh, we had a lot of fun. It was a really good turnout. Saw some fantastic films. Um, I think that the film we all voted for to win, I think, uh, ended up winning, which was a very um, poignant look at uh, Detroit. I did not and, vote uh, for that, no. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> I think we um, split our vote three we ways, split our, actually. Maybe we split our vote. Uh, but anyway, we all liked, we all liked the film. And um, just a real good shout-out to Connie Mangalin. Hopefully I'm not butchering her name. And uh, who was the organizer of the project. Um, to, re- took really good care of the jurors and had a wonderful time. So we uh, we did that. And we haven't – I think we, just, we haven't seen each other, cause it's all three of us, because it's been busy with the holidays on the end of the semester type stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was it was nice to be invited to that, and uh, it was it was good. We saw some really good films. Uh, we saw some really cool stuff, and uh, it's nice to see what's going on locally in terms of in terms of filmmaking. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for those of you not in Michigan, it's called the Mitten because if you look at a map of Michigan, it looks like a big mitten, you know, in case you guys – yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's obvious to us, but it might not be obvious to other people. <laughs> That's what our state looks like. Um, but yeah, holidays, end of semester stuff. Um, we're all on break right now, but break is always a relative thing since I know we're all preparing for the winter semester um, and whatnot. But yeah, you guys seen any good movies lately? Went and saw The Hobbit last week, um, which I loved. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw The Hobbit as well. It was uh, exactly what I expected it to be, and no more and no less. So it was it was good. It was fun to watch. You know, I have my beefs. You know, I'm like you know like a lot of people like why make the smallest book three films? But it's you know, but I do like that it, he's trying to tie it into the into the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, I agree. You know, it could and, have been one big 
three-hour film. Yeah. But since we're getting three films, <laughs> yeah, kind of luxuriating in them. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was. Uh, you didn't. I, you didn't have to drag me to it. <laughs> say say that, and I'll see the third one, of course. How about you, Chris? Uh, I've actually been catching up on a lot of TV. So things uh, that have been in my in my queue for a long time, uh, I've been trying to uh, trying to catch up on. So just getting getting some of the the, the recent seasons of um, things like uh, Treme and uh, um, Game of Thrones and all that under my belt. Ah, uh, so. cool, cool, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I saw American Hustle too the other day, and that was uh, I thought it was quite good. Um, Jennifer Lawrence is amazing, <laughs> I think, in this film. She is fantastic. Were, all of the performances were good. Uh, Bradley Cooper was good. J- Christian Bale's always good in everything he does. So um, there's that. Um, it's it was um, this is a good film. I, I I recommend it. It was confusing and long, <laughs> but I think it's supposed to be confusing and long. So since it's about con artists and stuff, so and the costuming was great too. So that was good. I'm trying to see as many as I can. Um, this this break i'm going to try to see uh, inside lewin davis maybe today um i want to see her and wolf of wall street i got i got a, my plate full of theater stuff hopefully 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 so that's yeah, good inside lewin davis looks uh looks looks really good um same thing with uh, uh wolf of wall street that's getting a lot of buzz yeah, I'd like to talk about Lindsay Lewin Davis on the podcast if you guys can get out to see it, um, because I think you know Coen Brothers are worth talking about. I think on a film podcast, and I think we would, we have some productive arguments and disagreements and agreements on that. I think probably, um, although star- I've heard mixed things about Inside Lewin Davis, but the star of the film was uh, just on uh, NPR's Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, and he was talking a little bit about a, the background of making the film. <laughs> I know, I uh, heard that. There's, there's about the cat. And, yeah. Um, the, there's five different cats because he carries a cat around, but the, they had to have different cats with different temperaments. So, uh, yeah, so check that, was, that, check that out. Yeah, that was really interesting. So should I put you on the spot and ask you about your f- uh, favorite films of the, of the past year? Yeah, why not? Um, I, you know, I, I'm trying to think of what I saw this year. I can honestly say that um, in the theater, I was—I mean, I was really, really taken with—I'm, um, you know, oddly enough, some some of these were podcasts, but I was, you know, so that's probably not coincidental. But I was really taken with uh, Before Midnight. Yeah. Uh, really taken with uh, Blue Jasmine. Yeah. Um, I would say that those those were the two films I think I saw in the theater this year that uh, I was the most impressed with. Um, but that would that's just strictly theater going experience. I think the discovery of the year for me, uh, non theatrical uh, in terms of um, a, an artifact film, would probably be uh, uh, Clouseau's Manon from 1949. Uh, Henri Georges Clouseau's Manon, uh, which I had never seen or heard of, frankly, and caught it in Columbus earlier this year, and I was absolutely blown away by that 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 was actually like uncovering a, a true masterpiece which is really refreshing when you know you've you've watched so many canonical films you know um as part of your you know training essentially and for becoming an academic and because of your passion for film that you you know you feel like you've caught 
most of the in however many decades most of the the really important films that you know i important is in quotes there um so when one comes along that you've never heard of never seen you know is completely uh, under your radar wow that was uh that was it for me so i'd say those are the three films you know the two theatrical ones and the one non-theatrical great how about you chris uh, I would have to agree uh, with Nick on Blue Jasmine. Um, oh, sorry, and the canyons. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, the canyons. And Lovelace, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Let me just back up one second, Chris. I'm terribly sorry to interrupt. <laughs> That's okay. all right. It was two other films that I loved, you know, the canyons, which we'll talk about today, and I was really taken with um, Lovelace primarily from an acting perspective. I was blown away by the performances. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's all right. Um, Lovelace is. I'm going to be watching Lovelace um, this weekend, probably. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Theatrical wise, uh, I was uh, Blue Jasmine kind of took it for me. And the other theatrical film that I saw that I was really impressed with, um, it, it technically came out in December of 2012, but I saw it in early January 2013. So I'll count it as 2013. And that's um, uh, Les Misérables. Uh, which, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I was a little nervous about it because that was the first stage musical I've ever seen, and it's done, on, it's done so well on the stage, but trying to do a, um, a film adaptation um, w- would be a little um, dicey, but uh, I thought that it was, um, the performances blew me away. Hugh Jackman uh, was, was brilliant. Russell Crowe was, was, was weak, but that's, but that's okay. I, I forgave him a little bit on that. Uh, but the idea of um, Tom Hooper, who directed it, his idea of actually recording the musical numbers on set rather than in a studio was a really interesting thing. And it, it, it gave a certain um, intimacy to the musical numbers that hasn't been seen before. Um, so I really was really, really was blown away by Les Miserables uh, and the Canyons, um, which uh, I, again, I thought the Canyons was, was, was brilliant. So yeah, some of them were podcast stuff and yeah, some of them were there. You know, there were some things I saw in the theater that I just wasn't, wasn't thrilled by, but, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Same here. Um, for me, a lot of times you look back at the year and for me, it's always what, what did I miss? You know, I looked through the list right, of films right. that came out and I never saw the great Gatsby, for example. um, there are a couple others I haven't seen, but as far as last year or this year, I guess, um, gravity stands out. Um, Oops. <laughs> I know it's hard. This is hard, right? Yeah. Well, I'm looking at a list right now too. Um, you know, the top grossing films are Iron Man three, despicable me Two, fast and furious six. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. But, um, the hunger games catching fire. I saw a couple weeks ago, which I really liked a lot. Um, Hunger Games. I mean, that was one of my favorites, actually. Hunger Games, uh, Man of not Man of Steel, um, Gravity, and um, Blue Jasmine. I think are up there. So a lot of good films. This is a good year for film, actually. But there is uh, there's a lot I didn't see, um, which I need to get to. Like Lovelace is very very top of my queue, especially now that it's streaming on uh, Netflix. It's very, very top of my list. Uh, I just have to get to it. But I hate what Hollywood does. I think I complained to you guys about this earlier, but I hate that you go 11 months 
going, oh, I want to see a movie, but all there is are these stupid blockbusters. I guess I'll see Iron Man 3 or whatever, or Star mm-hmm. Trek Into Darkness, which is actually, I actually like Star Trek Into Darkness. But um, but then December rolls around, and I, I, I'm not going to have enough time or money to see all the films I want to see. And I know why they do it. You know, Oscar season, they got to get them in. And so it's, it's, the, it's the Hollywood cycle, I get it. But if they spread these... Like there are eight films right now in the theater. I think I want to see, and if they just spread them out over the year, they'd still get my money. <laughs> right. But they might not get other people, so I get it. But, um, so I say, yeah, I have a long list, but that was a pretty good year for film, for uh, for sure. Yeah. So as far as pickups go, we should probably just move into into principal photography. I have this strange feeling I'm missing something. I think I'm just out of rhythm. segment one of principal photography we'll talk about the canyons the uh 2013 film written by brett easton ellis directed by paul schrader uh this was on all of our radars for a while it was on my radar radar after i read a uh, a long article about it in uh, i think it was the new yorker about just the troubles they're having filming it was a lot of it was about Lindsay lohan and, and the problems that uh that Schrader had with her, but it was a really interesting um, account of the film, and I liked the idea of it. I liked the idea of of how they were producing the film, which we'll get into a little bit later. So it was on my so it was on my radar for a while, um, and then Nick, I think, independently brought it up uh, very excitedly because I know Paul Schrader is um, one of your favorite screenwriters. I mean, why would yeah. why wouldn't he be? <laughs> But um, obviously he's a big name, but uh, I think you were pressing really hard for us to see it um, even after that. So we all finally watched it, um, and it was very difficult to find, which is another thing I think we should talk about um, as well. But um, should we uh, start with an overview of the film and then maybe go into impressions and, and talk about this distribution model? I think, sure. that might, I think that might be a way to do it. Um, I mean, basically the film was... Uh, produced by uh, the principal people, uh, Paul Schrader, Brady Snellis. Um, there was, uh, I think Lindsay Lohan was a co-producer, if I, if I remember yeah, correctly. She was. She and was. apparently they their budget was $250,000. They did a Kickstarter campaign to raise $100,000. Um, they exceeded that, and I think they wanted to prove that they could make a film uh, on a on a cheap budget, and the whole idea was to go around normal distribution. They wanted to go straight to uh, video on demand and 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 cable and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure. Um, I think they wanted to try theatrical release, but the idea was, you know, if you do it for two hundred and fifty thousand, you don't need to do much to make your money back. And they paid the actors a hundred bucks a day, um, and. Lindsay Lohan, at least I'm not sure about the other actors, but um, she got a she's supposed to get a piece of whatever profit it makes, right? So that's the way I understand it anyway. But she's in it, and then this guy James Dean, who I had never heard of, but he's some kind of he's a porn star. Apparently, yeah, yeah. he's stored, stored in hundreds of porn movies. So a very interesting uh, a choice there. So that's just a quick kind of overview of of 
I guess the 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 story behind the film, but we can talk about the actual film, and then I want to talk about kind of some of the uh, the meta stuff that comes up in, in terms of uh, the industry and stuff like that. What you What you guys think? Of of the um, film, the, uh, yeah, yeah, the film itself, or you can talk about just uh, filling any holes that that I left in my in my kind of extemporaneous. Uh, no, that was I think, there. Yeah, no, that's that's a great great background for the you know the inception, um, and financing and producing of the, and writing of it. Yeah, I, I don't think I could add anything to it. Cool, cool. Chris, I I love the canyons. Yeah, I I think Eric, you summed it up pretty well. Um, especially the the issues that Schrader had with with Lowen. I mean, he he really took a chance with her considering how much she has been kind of a train wreck. Uh and you know, I I think behind all of her her drama and her her substance issues, um there is a good actor there. Um there's Agreed. someone who 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 really can who really can act and do a good job. But even in the post production and marketing of the film how Lowen was not showing up for um, photo shoots. She wasn't really doing much promotion for the film, which is kind of ironic considering she was set to get a piece of whatever the film made. Um, you know, that was definitely something that's important, but I, I did love, I, I did love it. Um, especially the, the, the really funny thing is I, I loved it. And, and so many uh, critics uh, just deplored it. Um, it seems like this is one where the the academics, because I know other academics who who really lauded the film, um, you know, the the academics really kind of latched onto it, and I think that the critics just didn't didn't, didn't get it. But um, I thought it was fantastically done, and 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 for 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 a porn star, James Dean did okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, just to reinforce what you said about the critics, I'm looking um, at the Wikipedia page right now, and it says the film holds a 22% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> yeah. What's that? 22% wow. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. With, a, with an average score of 3.8 out of 10, based on some review. <laughs> and the, this is, the consensus, according to Wikipedia, says the film, quote, serves as a sour footnote in Paul Schrader's career. But it does feature some decent late period work from Lindsay Lohan, which is obviously very tongue in cheek. Um, at Metacritic, it says it's got a average score of 36 based on 29 generally unfavorable reviews. So, the you know, the critics are a little better than the general public on the film. But, but you're right. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it, it got... It wasn't well received. Let's put it that way. Um, but you said you loved it, Chris. I know you loved it, Nick. Oh man, yeah. I found it a heartbreaking film. Absolutely. Um, and in in the meta sense, and that's and that's you know um, because the film is is populated with the most sort of like vapid, um, unsavory, ridiculous caricature cutouts of society that continually sort of like assault us on a daily basis through um, the sort of vulgar media outlets out there. And I think the film, you know, is, is out there in some ways to try and uh, skewer this through satire. Um, I think that's one of the, the primary objectives of it. And that's probably one of the areas where in the film is perhaps more Ellis's than Schrader's. Yeah. Um, but there are film there are, I think, um, Parts of the film that are definitely more Schrader's than Ellis's as well. Yeah. Uh, um, 
the the sort of like meta cinema narrative i think is all schrader um and the whole this concept of death of cinema and stuff like that um mm-hmm. but you know there's always been so much given to um affective image in cinema and this film seems very much um the opposite of that not to say that it's not beautifully shot but it's it's all about sort of like the the the, the empty transparent shells we've all become from the opening scene in a place that I love, you know, where I spent a couple of really fun nights, the Chateau Marmont in, in, in Hollywood, um, where nobody's really paying attention to each other. They're just sitting there on their cell phones. You know, they're on a, there's like a, a, a date. Was it a double date? I can't remember. Guys, it's been yeah. like six months since I've seen the film. So they're on a double date, and James Dean's trying to get set up a threesome. He's not even paying attention. When he's paying attention, he's just trying to act superior to the sort of, uh, was this guy from like uh, Mid America, the sort of like um, uh, the dude who's supposed to have the um, wheat between his teeth or whatever? Um, who ultimately, I think, cuckolds him in the end, doesn't he? <laughs> I, I can't remember everything, but I just yeah. remember that opening scene being so, so like setting the tone for the whole film. Uh, and I think probably the beauty of that scene is that all these people that gave it two out of ten. We're doing the same thing with the film. They weren't watching it. They were distracted by their cell phones and <laughs> all the other things that are bothering them. That's a really good though um, comment though on, on how some of the film is Paul Schrader's and some of the film is Brett Easton Ellis's. And when I watched the film, it just so happened that um, I was teaching American Psycho at um, in my intro to film class, and I brought up the canyons because. There are so many similarities uh, between, you know, because Brett Easton Ellis wrote the screenplay for American Psycho. And, uh, you know, there's so many similarities between the canyons and American Psycho. And, and especially, like you mentioned, that the, this, this kind of vapid emptiness um, that we've come, this, we've become, you know, these, these slaves to technology, um, you know, drones, where we just don't really. There's not not much engaging with life, engaging with experience. It's it's all trying to connect in this superficial 1D way. Yeah, um, I I agree mostly with what you guys are saying. Uh, yeah, as far as the the story of the film goes, I I, I think it's a pretty well written film, uh, pretty well written screenplay. Uh, the acting is 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 kind of horrible, mostly. Um, the camera work is, I mean, it's just on a, it looks like it's on a kind of a cheap, you know, cheap-ish kind of prosumer digital camera, but some of the camera work is pretty amazing, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. You know, the the very, very beginning of the film, you guys are talking about that scene in the Chateau Marmont, um, which is interesting, strangely edited, strangely shot, because a lot of people are looking directly into the camera, which is really distracting. But before that, during the opening credit sequences, uh, you guys will probably remember, it's just, it's a lot of shots of uh, movie theaters that have, or now defunct movie theaters with weeds growing in the parking lots and, and, you know, crumbling facades and stuff like that. And I thought that was really powerful, too. It just kind of set the tone for the movie of this kind of death of cinema which is you know kind of what they're trying to comment on also that's that's exactly and that's what i think was lost uh, is and on the public and the critics is that they they completely ignored how the film opened 
they all concentrated on the the meeting at the, at Marmont, but they forgot about the entire sort of prologue, which was really frames the entire narrative, because the narrative is is you know it's light, it's it's sort of like uh, it's deeply sort of psychological, psychosexual. Uh, there's an element of mystery. There's sort of you know it has sort of a David Lynchian feel to it in certain in certain uh, parts. But it you know for for me the whole thing when I finished watching it I thought it was this. I just felt like as if Schrader and Ellis had just winked at me, you know, <laughs> and and with and and sort of cleverly and slyly winked at me and said, um, you know, this is this is our comment on the current culture of cinema. Uh, I mean, w w I don't know about you guys, but like, I, you know, I like Anchorman. I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I don't I don't worship it the way. <laughs> like you know some people do but i've never seen in my entire life a more diverse and uh and broad and full frontal assault financially on a movie campaign than anchorman 2 in my entire life oh yeah uh, to the yeah, point where it was insane. it was such overkill i think they say they put 20 to 40 million 20 usually 20 million in marketing for your average hollywood film that clearly they doubled it on that um yeah. and and but it's like but isn't that sort of like gilding the lily? I mean, there was already a built-in uh, desire to see that film. People have been calling for a, a sequel for a long time. And, you know, it's like, do you really need to hype it that much? People are going to go see it regardless. And, yeah. and here's, here's the poor little canyons, <laughs> Kickstarter canyons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, from, from one of the greatest screenwriters that ever lived, you know, sort of just struggling, struggling to get, you know, seen. And when it's seen, people are like, what the fuck is this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, I don't think the canyons has the broad appeal that the Anchorman too is. And no, I mean, clearly. I mean, no, no, I'm I mean, talking about the campaign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, broad in all the yeah. senses of that word. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, yeah. that's what I felt. It, they had winked at me. It's like, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, what they're trying to do is something very, uh, you know, they're trying to subvert the, you know, the dominant paradigm of, of you know, the way cinema is made and uh, distributed, advertised and all that stuff. I don't, I don't know, I don't think it was a success financially for them, even at the 250 mm -hmm. budget. I'm not sure they made it up, you know. Um, some of that, we, like I said, we can, we can talk about that, but... Um, yeah, but as far as um, as far as a work, I mean, I'm glad I saw it. It was good. Uh, I'm not gonna watch it again, probably. I don't think. Um, but it was um, like like you said, the wink, it, the the subject of the film, the 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 dominant themes of the film speak directly to the what they're doing. You know, in terms of trying to to do something different in 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 the film industry, and I think that's that's cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. I would actually. Um, I mean, I I definitely watch it again. I I probably will use, um, if not the entire film, then clips of it to teach with, um, because of the fact that oftentimes in my classes I will bring in things like spectatorship, the change of cinema. Um, here in Detroit, we have an old United Artists Theater movie movie palace that has pretty much crumbled into um, disrepair. And uh, so I, I I will probably bring it back and, and, and talk about it and, and illustrate what Schrader and Ellis are trying to do. 
um, in my own classes because I spent especially with with young students who were kind of the 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 um, the target for for Anchorman and the Hangover and all of this and Iron Man all of this other uh, fluff that is kind of polluting Hollywood right now uh, rather than stuff like the canyons that's 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 really kind of digging digging deep into uh, uh, doing commentary on uh, self-reflexive commentary on what's going on for 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 those who listen to the podcast with any uh, regularity they know that i'm quite famous for quoting um and <laughs> why should i disappoint all of those five listeners out there uh, <laughs> so i'm going to quote from what i thought was by far the the most sort of uh, astute, brilliant, uh, well-written review uh, that I came across, which was Nick Pinkerton's review on Reverse Shot. Um, I found his uh, his last paragraph. I was just looking at it here while Chris was talking, and when when um, when we started the show, and I said I found the film heartbreaking. It's like, wow, there you go. That word is used in this paragraph. Clearly, you know it it. Uh, it resonated in my brain because when we talked about the film earlier and I said, yeah, I found it heartbreaking, you know, and I think that's probably because it was implanted from Nick's review. Um, I just want to read the last paragraph to that review and I think you guys will enjoy it. Nick writes, a far more esteemed movie of the moment, 2010's The Social Network, ended with Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg left alone in his triumph, waiting for an ex-girlfriend to confirm his Facebook friend request, anxiously refreshing the page. It's a poignant little rosebud reveal explaining the lonesome secret of Aaron Sorkin and David Fincher's Web 2.0 cane. But the line, she seems happy even if she's like totally faking it, and the canyons <laughs> itself get deeper into our fear of what we're becoming. Transparency is just another word for reflection, a narcissist's hall of mirrors, a culture of reconnecting and keeping in touch becomes a surveillance culture where being happy ceases to seem like an attainable goal. We settle for reassuring ourselves that no one else is any happier. It's true the movie is cold. True it's populated with self-serving dolts. So why here is it suddenly so heartbreaking? And uh, it's a, you know, I think he sort of like very uh, skillfully um, puts his finger directly on everything I feel about the film. Um, it's as if, you know, he and I shared the same brain on this film. And uh, we'll make sure to get a link to this in the uh, in the show notes. But you know, yeah. Eric, um, I don't know if you guys want to react to that or not. But um, uh, and and something you said earlier was uh, you talked about the acting, and for me, the acting was utilitarian. Uh, I I thought Lindsay was excellent, um, but I think she's you know she I think she's a skilled actress. I think she's been at it a long time. She grew up in front of the camera. And she knows how to act. I think everybody else, and this is something I don't think Nick touches on in his review. But for me. The, the acting was like it was like exactly appropriate for the type of film that this was. What do you mean by that? That makes that makes sense. What I, I mean that. is it was utilitarian. It's sort of like regarding what the film was about, the acting served the 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 means of the film. So there was no real like Olivier moments in here from from our male lead, you know, uh, James Dean, or D E E N. Or um, right. or anybody else in the film, um, really. But then, it, but sort of like, because what the film I think ultimately is about, 
which is, you know, it's a self-reflexive sort of satire on the current culture and culture in Hollywood. Um, it seemed like the acting was like spot on for that, you know, it just, um, I, I, I didn't have to connect with any of these people, uh, in a certain way because they're not connected to themselves, each other or culture. They're disconnected. And so the, the acting seemed sort of very appropriate, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they did their jobs. They, they, they did exactly what um, they set out to do as far as their, their performances or lack, lack thereof. Yes, Chris, exactly. They were not good, as in like they did. I don't think there's any Academy Awards coming their way, but they weren't <laughs> bad either. We never looked at any character and said, Oh my God! That is this person is the worst actor in the world. They just sort of like were they served the film basically. Uh, they served its ambitions. I thought they existed well. in the mise en scène just like they were existing in life. They were just they weren't living. They were just existing. You know, one thing that uh, Pinkerton says in his review, and for those of you who are familiar with Val Luton's, you know, canon, uh, it's it's an absolutely fantastic comment. He says Schrader already made his cat people. This is his I walk. This is his I walked with a zombie, which is a great statement if if you're familiar with Val Luton's career, because um, he uh, Schrader wrote and and uh, remade uh, Luton's Cat People, and to say this is his this is his I walked with a zombie is a is a <laughs> it's a it's a very uh a very a, a appropriate analogy. Hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know if he wrote Cat People. I know he directed it, right? I'd have to check but, my MDB. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't really matter. I mean, it's, it's still, the point is still, <laughs> this point is still valid, obviously. Um, yeah, I see you guys. Uncredited for I see. People, you know, oh, I writer. see. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I, I guess I see what you're saying. Like, the kind of hollow acting kind of mirrors the, the hollow characters, right? Because this film yep. is all about people, you know, trying and failing to connect in, in the age of you know, devices and yeah, 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 very, yeah, very well put. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, for me, there were moments where I said, man, this acting is bad, especially when they were yelling at each other. There's a conflict towards the end and they're yelling at each other and he's asking her where she's been. And like, there's a, there's a, Oh, is that when they're in the bed and the whole cell phone? See, but I thought that was so, so cleverly edited as to, uh, make you un uh, sort of like nervous or anxious. That I I looked past any of the sort of like acting because I thought it was cleverly paced. I thought before the argument, I thought it was you know because there's this tension that builds and builds as you know the phone's going. She's trying to find her phone and she drops she drops something off a counter and she picks you know she catches it in midair you know trying to be quiet you know like there's this there's a there's some pacing there in the editing. But when they start arguing, I'm like huh, I don't know if I believe all of this and then. And then it, the scene just kind of fizzles out, and you wonder what's going on. You know, like where, where did that go? But but that's just one moment. I mean, there. Are, you know, I think the 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 beginning um, um, the conversation. I thought that at first I was I thought it was really kind of overblown. You know, the 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 how should I put this? The um, the amount of distraction and them looking at their phones and be like, oh yeah, whatever. Like it was just kind of like, uh, yeah, okay, I I get it, 
but you know, no one really acts that way. But on the other hand, I was like, ah, it's fine. You know, <laughs> How about that, Eric. I don't know. Well, yeah. No, look I mean, at it again. A restaurant like, at... in, in in Birmingham or anywhere, West Bloomfield or or Detroit or anywhere. Some douchebag who's a producer of uh, horror movies is totally, you know, who's like totally going to talk like that in real life. I think. Yeah. I don't and think it Oh, I think it'd be even so worse in real always life. Always on his phones. Always. You know, there's some really evil people out there. Evil. I'm just talking about like the fact that like I don't know. Maybe you're right. Uh, and you're right. He is a he is a producer and all that. You know, it's it's that kind of it's, it's not just the disconnected uh, 21st century young citizen. It's also the the Hollywood cliche. I think you put those together and I think you get you, you know kind of. But at the very but it's the very first scene and you get this point where like they they're barely looking up from their phones. They're kind of it's just kind of it's it's a little too blatant at first and the way it's edited like i said like at the, in the beginning people are looking directly into the camera instead of slightly off and that is very disorienting in the film um and i'm talking about the very first scene um and i thought that was strangely edited and it really took me out of the film but i wasn't in it yet after that i was like okay i was I, everything was fine up until that that one scene i just mentioned but there are a couple moments uh, two I can think of. There might have been a third where somebody looks directly into the camera, kind of for effect, and I found that pretty chilling, actually. Mm-hmm. Like kind of breaking the fourth wall, and um, I can't remember who they are now, but like I know Lindsay Lohan does it at one point, and there are these moments where people just like stop and just look into the camera. And you're like, oh wow, this is totally like you were talking about the wink earlier, Nick. I mean, it's even it's more that's the nudge, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was a wink, and then there's a nudge, and I thought that was really well done, actually, because a couple of the times it was it was kind of chilling and, and very and very powerful. I thought, um, and that's that's pure direction right there. Right? It has nothing to do with the writing, really. It's just, it's it's direction, and um, and this film had moments of of near genius, I think in the, in the camera work and the direction. And, but it, it's, it was, it did, the, the acting did take me out from time to time, from time I to time. There, there was, um, there was a great, great point, Eric. Absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, there, again, uh, Nick Pinkerton has this, this, uh, this line that's just so, so accurate. And he mentions another, another film that I was really impressed with this year, um, spring breakers. But the, the thing that he did in this, um, in his comment here about Lindsay Lohan uh, is kind of compares the two performances of two former Disney properties. And uh, so he says, he goes, unlike the vacationing Disney properties of spring breakers, uh, the one, <laughs> and he, he's referring here to Selena Gomez and uh, the girl from the, um, the, 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 you know, the high school mu- uh, musicals. What were they? What's her name? Uh, um, I don't know either. I forget her name. Vanessa, I know Vanessa Hudgens. Hudgens? Yeah. Vanessa Hudgens yeah. So he says, unlike the vacationing Disney properties of Spring Bakers, the one-time star of the, the Parent Trap participates with her film's debauchery in a far more complex, compromising, consequential fashion than Teehee, Good Girl Gone Bad. If only on an intuitive level, Lohan understands, trapped in a golden age tiara's ongoing struggle between abandoned and strategy, despair, and rebellion. Which I thought was... A really, 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 again, right on the money uh, critique of of her acting in the film. I think mm-hmm. she's kind of the kind of the glue that holds the film together. Um, clearly, she's the, the 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 person that the camera lingers on the most when she's in the scene. You know, I mean, she sort of dominates. No, um, certainly, yeah, yeah. Speaking of her, 
<laughs> we can move on because I think we're gonna. I, I think I have a slight disagreement with you guys on on the film itself, but it's it's really slight, you know. Um, while you guys love it, I liked it, you know. But as far as um, Lindsay Lohan goes, like I know that. Um, I saw it was I don't know where it was maybe it was on uh, Schrader's Facebook page or something but um, he was complaining about the fact that she has done none of the uh, promotion that you would expect she's not showing up to film festivals I think Chris alluded to this earlier right, she's right. not showing up to the... where did you get that info info by the way uh, uh, like, I, I saw it in um, Variety okay Variety that's where I first read it was okay. in Variety. Yeah, and I like I said, I think I saw it on like Trader's Facebook or something. But apparently, she's not going to photo shoots, and she's not showing up. She didn't show up to Can, uh, for example, and she's not doing any of the promotion, which is odd because, like Chris mentioned earlier, like first of all, this could resurrect, could have resurrected her career. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, just on the nuts and bolts, like you can, she could be making money on this thing if she just got behind it you know uh because she gets a piece of whatever it whatever it nets you know so it's a very strange um and then the other thing about it is we couldn't find it uh nick had seen it i think on demand nick is that right and i watched it yeah you were the first to you were the first of us to see it and you saw it on demand uh like uh was it on like voodoo or something may or june or something whenever it came out on yeah it was um Amazon Prime or Voodoo? Okay. I think yeah, I and it was on all of those. It was on Prime. It was on Voodoo. Um, I think you might have been able to get it on iTunes. And then when Chris and I decided to finally get around to watching it, maybe a couple months ago, um, we couldn't find it. Right? Uh, Amazon said that there was yeah there were uh, licensing issues or something with Amazon. It wasn't on Voodoo. Uh, we had to uh, well we torrented it frankly, you know, and that's a couple bucks that, you know, uh, Schrader and Ellis and, uh, and, and Lohan could have had from mm-hmm. us that we, we would have been happy to, to pay five or six bucks or no problem, but we couldn't, we couldn't do it. We weren't allowed to pay for it because it wasn't available anywhere. So I torrented the thing, shared it with, with Chris. Um, uh, and, uh, and that's how we had to find it. So I don't know what's going on with the film, but, as far as an experiment in alternate distribution methods, something's something's up. You guys, do you guys have any insight on that or thoughts? No. Um, I mean, to your original point, I would say that I didn't. I I where you say that you liked the film a lot and that we loved it. I I didn't love it as traditional cinema, though. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved it almost as a experimental narrative if you will even though it's not an experimental narrative right um it's a traditional three act you know (laughs) structured narrative with with uh, plot yeah there's not much experimental about the plot at all no but you see but i found that the experience was somewhat experimental you know everything about the film was sort of like experimental from its as you just said it's it's distribution and dissemination models to its financing to its pairing of Schrader and Ellis, you know, mm-hmm. it's sort of it's it, there's nothing sort of like traditional about the film, uh, and I think that's kind of why I loved it so much afterwards. I didn't, I wasn't absorbed in this film like I'm absorbed in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever Shawshank Redemption. But <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, but I was, I did love it. I love things about it. I loved its its bravery and its courage, mm-hmm. and I loved its underdog nature. 
And I love Paul Schrader, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Everything you just said. Everything you just said. Uh, I agree completely. That's what drew me to the film was Schrader and the Ellis and the way they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm not going to say that it's a good film or an engaging film or, or a completely enthralling film because of the way it was made, right? I'm, I'm trying to separate those two things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, although, the fil- although the film doesn't necessarily do that. The film kind of comments on that itself which is right. fine you know it just as far as a piece of art it was you know uh, yeah you know i mean I, I i liked it but i didn't love it but yeah i agree with you completely nick and uh and you know to be honest with you if um i heard that these same people were doing something similar again i i check it out mostly yeah. Schrader and ellis Maybe Lindsay Lohan with if whatever you know what I mean. If if I thought if I heard that they were going to try something else that's it's just as experimental and a collaboration, I would I would check it out. I concur with Nick in that yeah this this wasn't a, a Shawshank Redemption type, type <laughs> yeah. motion picture, um, but for for what it did, for how it was made, uh, for its subversive nature, its kind of guerrilla style of taking on. Hollywood, um, that's what drew me to, to, to love the film. Uh, as far as the, the marketing of the film, uh, I, maybe the marketing of the film just kind of goes along with everything, with the, with the acting, with, with everything else. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's intentional that they've been trying to, you know, to been making it intentionally difficult to see the film. Of course, um, you know it's like ah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna really make it uh, hard for people to see this on purpose. Uh, I don't think that's a no. Of course not. Why crazy. would they do that? Would be crazy. <laughs> but it's kind no. of funny with if you think about it within the context of our discussion, you know, yeah, to, yeah. to muse upon. Um, but I think it's 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 licensing. It's 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 distributors maybe unwilling to pick it up. I don't think it's so so um, so much so like uh, like Hound Dog, where you know after it premiered, the it was so controversial that people didn't want it. No no distributor wanted to touch it because of the whole Dakota Fanning thing. But I I just I, I it's just distributors and just typical. Typical Hollywood stuff, typical things that the that the film is commenting on. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I hope it gets to uh, a little bit more of a a broad broad audience, but more more people can see it. Uh, I don't think it's on Netflix. Um, I I honestly haven't looked. Um, hopefully Actually, it gets there. You know, no, no, it's not on Netflix. Um, I'm sure they would love to have it on there. It is. I'm looking right now on Amazon. It's available on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can buy it. And guess what? You can now rent it on Amazon. There you go. Streaming. Oh, so right. perfect. It might have been it might have been a, a temporary blip that we just happened to have bad timing. It might have been because they're releasing. There's a director's cut too. Um, it might be because they were releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray, perhaps that maybe they pulled it from streaming. Maybe that was a licensing issue. That's possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't know, obviously. I'm just speculating. But it was just this weird thing where I'm like, the, the whole distribution strategy was to get it into as many people's living rooms as possible um, and not rely only on box office at the theater. Right. And then to find out that you can't stream it anywhere. And at the time, the DVD right. wasn't out. Right. So it might just be that there, because of the DVD, excuse me, and the Blu-ray were coming out, 
you know, maybe it was that because you can rent it in HD for four ninety nine. You can buy it for four. So yeah, it's available now on Amazon and probably in other places too. I'm not going to look, but um, so so yay, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But it's just really like just between Lindsay Lohan not participating in the promotions and then this weird like unavailable temporary now unavailability. I'm not sure how they expect to make their their money back, but and I don't know if it was Lindsay Lohan, you know, with, with her not participating in the the promotion. I think it was just Lindsay Lohan being Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. it's just her being her, you know. I I, yeah. I I think that if if she had been uh really um, involved in the promotion after the film was made, I would have been surprised. I'd be like, oh wow, she's she's really turning a new leaf. But yeah, she's just she's just <laughs> her being her. You know, she's doing what she does best, and that is, you know, fuck herself. I mean, yeah. uh, that to 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 be blunt. I mean, yeah, I think they yeah. I think you're right. I think they were hoping beyond all evidence to the contrary that she would have turned over a new leaf and tried to take some interest in her own career. Right. I don't think yeah. so. I, yeah, well, I, obviously I, not. Yeah, obviously not. Yeah. That was yeah. some misplaced uh, misplaced hope, I guess, on their part. So, um, A couple of other things I found about this film was that um, editing was, I guess apparently it was originally in almost two hours, hour 44 or something like that. And uh, I guess Steven Soderbergh saw a rough cut of it and offered to edit it in 72 hours. Did you guys hear about this? No. This is in the, where was this? I don't remember where I saw this, but um, I guess uh, Schrader's like kind of like F you because, you know, he's like, what if, he's like, if, if someone offered to cut his film in 72 hours, you know, what he would say, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. I guess he was like totally offended, but um I think that there is some uh, there is some arguments about editing between Ellis and uh, and Schrader as well, but I mean that's probably gonna gonna happen. Um, there's, <laughs> it there seems a, to plague Schrader his entire career. Yeah, no so, kidding. Um, cut to films, you know, seems to be his his the the Achilles heel. Yeah, Achilles heel. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was in the New York Times that that, uh, that Steven Soderbergh story came up. And uh, and then Ellis is quoted as saying, uh, the film is so ling- languorous. It's an hour 30, and it seems like it's three hours long. I saw this as a pranky, noirish thriller, but Schrader turned it into, well, a Schrader film. I'm not sure if he means that in a positive or negative way. I think probably positive, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, it yeah, it's hard good. to say. I mean, Might Ellis be a little. Is, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, there are, his comments about Schrader are... People could level against him, too, yeah. very easily. Yeah. He has his own world of characters he likes to uh, to deal with as well. And, yeah. Um, he has a... Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, no, it's just that, you know, you've got two very strong personalities coming together yeah. uh, in this film, so yeah. it's, it's hard to figure out who's going to be the, the captain of the ship, but ultimately yeah. it, it is the director in cinema, so... Yeah, generally, uh, yeah. Generally, yeah. Sometimes yeah. the producer, sometimes the writer, but yeah, yeah, usually the director. But in this case, the producers, writers, and directors are all really intermingled because exactly. it's so not traditional, but I think you're right. I think that ultimately it's going to come down to the director especially with someone like like schrader i would think mm-hmm. so I, I, ellis has a um podcast i think i told you about this nick did, um yeah. and uh maybe you I haven't checked just... it out yet but uh... yeah so, i downloaded the uh the episodes with uh marilyn manson i haven't yeah. listened to them yet but yeah I, that, i'm looking forward to those so I listened to yeah the first two episodes are an interview with Kanye West and the second two are an interview with uh, Marilyn Manson and I listened to the Marilyn Manson ones um, 
And because I like Marilyn Manson, I think he's a really intelligent guy when he's when he is not kind of performing, I guess you could say. Um, and so I listened to it, and it was funny because as I listened to the second episode, I was like, I think these guys are getting drunk because they're getting really rambly. They weren't staying on topic. I'm like, I think they're getting drunk because they mentioned drinking in the beginning. So then I went to the show notes, and sure enough, even on the show notes, it says, yeah, we were getting increasingly drunk. It said something to that effect. I was like, I thought so. But in the first hour, he talks about um, the canyons a little bit. Uh, he talks about having written it, and he talks a little bit about his experience on it. Um, he mentions it at least a few times, and mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting. Um, he's, you know, I mean, he's only, uh, what's that, four episodes, but it's really two interviews. I mean, we're like eight times ahead of him in our podcast, so, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe we should have him on, you know, just to give him some exposure, much needed <laughs> exposure that maybe he needs, you know, maybe <laughs> Cross-promotion. <laughs> right, right, yeah. That, <laughs> could you imagine? Um, <laughs> the guy that can draw Kanye West and Marilyn Manson for his first two interviews. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> he needs us. He needs us. You need us, uh, but, uh, but, yeah, you're right about those. Gilligan's Island song, You Need Us. Gilligan's That's right. Island. You're right about the influence. I'll, those... I'll put a quote, uh, link to that on the web. <laughs> um, let's, let's talk briefly about Paul Schrader. Uh, because I mean, I was just looking at his filmography, and everybody knows him for Taxi Driver, right? Um, but that was, you know, thirty some years ago. Um, you mentioned uh, Cat People earlier. I mean, everyone knows Raging Bull and oh, American yeah, Gigolo. Yeah, yeah. But um, one thing, I, you know, I think I had forgotten this. One of my favorite films from the '90s. Um, I always remember that it was written by Harold Pinter, but I, I think I either didn't know or had forgotten that he directed it was the, the Comfort of Strangers. I know the film. I've never seen it, though. It's so good. It's so good with um, uh, Christopher Walken and Helen Mirren. And it's strange and interesting. And, and uh, you know, it really feels like Harold Pinter in a lot of ways. But um, I guess I didn't – I had forgotten he had – or like I said, I didn't know he directed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's – 1990, very much worth watching. Um, I I haven't seen it in years, but I'm sure it holds up. But it's a very odd, interesting little film that um, I think kind of came and went, and you know, people saw it, but not not as much as as you might as you might think. Um, do you guys have any like any favorites beyond the uh, beyond the kind of obvious, or or including the obvious if you want that you like of his? Or I mean, he's a great screenwriter and, and a good director Studio coast is an incredible script mm-hmm. um i think rolling thunder obviously is an incredible script where schrader once again had his finger pretty tightly uh placed on the pulse of what was going on in the mm-hmm. country um you know i like i like his ambitions what he did on the exorcist uh um but you know i it it uh not the original but you know the the debacle of the the late 90s there um i i, I appreciated his sort oh of the, the prequel the, yeah the, yeah. the, the theological um <laughs> and sort of like um deeply philosophical approach that he took i thought <laughs> was appropriate regarding in relation to blatty's original novel which is a which has you know it's got a lot of theology rooted into it um you know i love i love uh cat people i'm a huge fan uh, i love his pre-hollywood career i love his his writings, you know, I mean, he originally wanted to be a film critic and theorist, huh. and, um, you know, in our film noir 
class next semester, we'll be looking at his early work on that he wrote on sort of defining what film noir was. Oh, I, I think know he's this. a great film film historian too. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's frequently um, brought in to. Uh, into documentaries like a decade under the influence or something like that. Um, and, and I'd lastly, I would say probably autofocus and affliction two films that he directed are really, uh, yeah. powerful, powerful. <clears throat> All right. What about you, Chris? Um, besides, uh, the obvious, uh, taxi driver, uh, and raging bull, I'd have to say, um, his screenplay for, uh, last temptation of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is probably one. Of, it's one of my favorite Scorsese films. Um, the I, I just everything about it, the 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 inter, the different take on um, on the Jesus story. Um, I I loved. I, I also have a soft spot for anything with Willem Dafoe. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I, he's he's one of my he's one of my favorite actors. So. Um, that I, I would have to say, uh, besides Taxi Driver, Last Temptation, um, would be pretty pretty high up there. Yeah, that was an. I mean, that's a fabulous film. It's and, fearless, uh, you know. Fearless. To take take yeah. on that type of material, and to do it in such a way that you knew. I mean, you know, you're going to piss people off when you're writing a film like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ke- Kevin Smith knew he was going to piss people off when he wrote when he did Dogma, um, but. Last Temptation, you know you're gonna you're, you're jabbing at at, yeah. at, at at certain people, and uh, but he did it anyway, and I, I applaud him for writing it. And I applaud Scorsese for directing it. I think fearless uh, is a good adjective to describe him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, is. He's, he's like you look at this list, and he's a and he's an iconoclast. He's willing to go against the grain on on a lot of social issues, philosophical issues, religious issues. Um, He's. I mean, I get the feeling he's not afraid to fail because. So I mean, some of this stuff is rather ambitious, and and you know. I think Paul you know what I mean. Very little at stake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you might be right. Which is which brings us to the canyons, I think. Right. Um, his it, bringing out the dead, uh, another uh, uh, Scorsese directed film, um, was was well written and, and strange. I don't know if you guys remember that from uh, the nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, um, yeah, that was odd. Yeah, he's just he's got a really interesting um, kind of resume here, and the fact that he writes a lot. He directs some. He actually has a lot of films he's directed, and some he's written and directed. And, and yeah, and books you know? as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not familiar with his um, critical stuff uh, as much as you are, Nick. I'm gonna have to check out that film noir piece he talked about. I don't think I know it. Oh yeah, so. that's a pretty, uh, pretty cool legendary piece that appeared in the early '70s in Film Comment. I think he also did huh. one on. He did. He did. I have also his stuff that he wrote on Yakuza films as well. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's how you, you know that was the beginning. And then of course he wrote. He wrote a book. I'd have to look it up. Trans. It's a tra- transcendental style or something about the where he looks at Dreyer, Ozu, and I forgot. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd have to look it up and put it in the in the notes. Yeah. That's another book that was pretty well received, and I think he's got another book like a sort of Schrader on Schrader type thing. Uh huh. Oh, that's cool. So he writes a lot, you know. Yeah. Uh, apart from scripts, that's great. And stuff. He's great in that uh, Tales from the Script. You guys know that documentary <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. about screenwriting. He, he the things he has to say are really good. I think in in that, you know, I think maybe one of the reasons we like the Canyons is because we're rooting for him. 
Exactly. <laughs> you know, like Paul Schrader is the kind of guy or the kind of writer that you want to see succeed and kind of almost become more dominant in Hollywood. Yes. Right. Versus a lot of the stuff that we see. So good, good, good. Um, anything else on this on this film? Or should we wrap it up and move on to segment two? I was just say if anybody's looking for something that's unique, this mm-hmm. is definitely you know it, it's in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Oh, it'll fit the bill for unique. Yeah. And it's streaming on Amazon. It is. <laughs> yeah, because I was worried about doing a podcast episode on a film that no one you know, it's going to be really hard to find. So now it's now they can find it. So that's good. Yeah, no, it's worth a watch. It's definitely worth a watch. So. Welcome to segment two of Principal Photography. Uh, this is the end of December, and we started this podcast back in uh, April. Back in April, thank you. And uh, we're just going to do a wrap up, talk about our favorite episodes, maybe our favorite moments um, during the podcast, and uh, do a kind of look back on the year uh, for for a little while. And we invite you to do the same. You can. Uh, Put a comment on the show notes for this at that's a rap show.com. You can comment on our Facebook page if you like. Tell us your favorite moments. Um, maybe give us uh, an idea of what you'd like to see in the upcoming year in 2014. We have a lot of things planned, and I think it's going to be a great year, 2014, for this podcast. So, uh, you know, let us know uh, what do you we think. Have a, uh, an email set up, uh, Eric? We do not. We can. I think we should. You know, it'd be great okay. to get some, some viewer mail, as they say, or listener mail. You know, um, there is a, a mailbag segment in the new year. Yeah, yes. we do. We do have a plugin on the um, on the website right now that you can uh, go there, click on it, and record a comment. And uh, I would like to, uh, in the future, maybe have recorded comments from uh, from listeners uh, for for feedback, questions, things like that. So if anybody wants to uh, give us feedback that way, you can do that. And then when when you get to the website, we'll have an email set up as well. If you want to email us, that's no problem at all. I can do that tomorrow. Okay. So um, so yeah, we'll have an email. Um, I think when we started the podcast, we talked about um, we talked about that, and I was like, nah, why bother? <laughs> So we just got everyone. You guys are like okay. So we didn't we didn't do it. But yeah, I think having an email would be a good idea. It's a more personal way to get get a hold of us. Uh, perhaps um, you can tweet at tweet at us at um, Rap Podcast um, on Twitter. You can hit our Facebook. You can hit our blog. You can you can record a, a message on the blog um, at that's rapshow dot com or um, you can email us. We'd love to hear uh, comments, suggestions, ideas, stuff like that. Uh, but for now, it's all about us and what we think about the year, the, the last uh, seven or eight months or however long it's been. Uh, so, Chris, what was your what was your favorite? Uh, I've, I've just loved this entire experience. Um, this has been so much fun. My, my favorite episode uh, actually would, would have to be the TV episode where we talked about our five favorite TV shows. Uh, it was recorded in person. I think that despite the technical difficulties that we often have when recording mm-hmm. in person, yeah. uh, I still think it's a lot of fun because it's yeah. just 
it's a way to get together and uh, hopefully uh, we can do another one where we record in person very soon. But um, also with the television one, you know, it, it, it's, it'd be neat to maybe every, every so often, maybe every 12 months or whatever, go back and, and kind of revisit it because, you know, people's, people's tastes change as new television comes up as new ways of distributing television um, comes up, whether it's through Netflix or Amazon prime uh, or those types of other channels or just DVD, Blu-ray um, people's tastes change. People's interests change into what they think is very good. Uh, maybe some things just don't last as long. Um, they don't have the longevity of other, other programs. And then some programs might that we might've forgotten creep up back. And I, I think that, that the, the, television episode uh i mean there was not a lot of overlap and i thought it really was a way to kind of get an interesting insight into our our viewing personalities when it came to television uh also i mean my my a lot of my research has been uh very very heavily uh focused towards television lately Mm -hmm. so uh yeah television and and online streaming series and stuff like that so um, that that has to be probably one of my, probably I mean I, I've loved every episode, uh, but that would probably be one of my one of my favorites for the year. It's just been a lot of fun. Just curious, um, Chris. I know you said over break you were going to watch The Wire, which was Eric and uh, my favorite, uh, our our top choice. Have you started watching it? Uh, I I have not because I don't have the DVDs. Uh, I am hopefully going to be seeing uh, Nick within the next day or so, and <laughs> I am going to be borrowing them from sure. you. So I will, I will I will bring them to you. Great, that's great. great. So I will be watching then the wire probably once I get the DVDs. I will immediately start watching the wire, and I will start watching it this week, and I will have an update hopefully by <laughs> our next episode. So okay. there you go. <laughs> yeah, Chris, I knew that was going to be your favorite. Um, I I think I have a guess on what Nick's favorite is as well. Um, but for some reason, just before you said it, I thought to myself, he's going to say the TV uh, show episode. <laughs> yeah, you guys, I like that one you guys as well. Know me. Yeah, yeah. I think I know Nick's as well. Um, do you want to go next, Nick, or you want me to go? Uh, it doesn't matter, man. You choose. Uh, go ahead then. Okay, so um, you know I'm a fairly nostalgic person, so I'm sudden, <laughs> I'm nostalgic for April all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah. In serious, in all seriousness, I, I would say the first episode we did is my favorite. Yep, I yeah. knew it. Yeah, yeah I knew that too. <laughs> I, I, I knew that too. Yeah, even even though uh, our our format was uh, more rigid and it was our first you know first time doing a podcast and we were a little bit more uh, regimented and um, you know just formal I think um, I still thought that the format of the episode you know the doing our our pickups and introducing ourselves and talking about stuff and then diving into a film which was my favorite film of 2012 which was mm-hmm. Perks, of, Perks of Being a Wallflower. And then talking about Roger Ebert, a completely separate issue in our in our second segment, is is a uh, is a schematic I'd like to re- revisit again and do another episode. So just like that, you know, it'd be great. Yeah. But um, I thought it was when we came together and and uh, you know officially laid down our uh, our mission statement as a podcast. And, and <laughs> so there have been many episodes I've loved ever since. You know, I, I I have a lot of fondness for the Bond episode, even though there was a couple of technical difficulties. It was a yeah. great sort of big discussion about Bond. That was a fun one. But yeah, yeah. fun. Fun is a great word for it. But I think, yeah, the first one was my favorite. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I like that first one too. I like I, I like getting together in person, and I like the in person ones. And um, I hope we can do that more in the future. Uh, we would <laughs> a new mixer would be nice. That would solve a lot of our problems. Yeah. And if I should probably just throw this out there, um, if anybody wants to like kind of support us uh, indirectly in a way, if you go to our website and you click on the iTunes or Amazon links and then buy something, we get a kickback for that. So if you uh, like, say you're going to buy something on Amazon, we'll go, go click on one of our Amazon links and then buy it. And it costs you the same amount, but we get a little bit of money for, for referring you there. Um, You know, this isn't, um, it's, it's not free for us. You know, we do, it does cost us some money to do that, do this. So, you know, if you want to help us out um, without actually spending any extra money out of your own pocket, you can do that. You know, if you think about it, that's fantastic. I don't think we've had a single one yet. Have we? (laughs) Um, No, we haven't. Maybe somebody, (laughs) I I actually bought something uh, through Amazon. I think it was, (laughs) (laughs) I clicked on it, which is probably uh, against the terms of service, but whatever. Uh, So we got a couple, we got like 30 cents off of that. But, um, uh, but yeah, same with iTunes. If you buy a movie or uh, or music on iTunes, you can click on the little iTunesy thing and, and do that. Um, yeah, just uh, throwing that out there, little little plug. But um, yeah, I like I like those where we get together. I like all of our guest uh, episodes as well. Um, kind of a sentimental favorite for me is the one with Bob Burgoyne, just because uh, that was my my pick for you. Is that your pick? Uh, it's it's not gonna be my pick, um, only because wow. Chris wasn't there. Right. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's it's kind of a sentimental favorite because Bob's one of my favorite people in the world. So Absolutely. you know, and it was I thought it was such a great yeah, it was a great episode. But for me, the Woody Allen Blue Jasmine one is kind of my favorite, I think. Um, and it's not even it's not even clear cut. You know, it's just kind of looking through the list. Um, I like a lot of what we did, but I really enjoyed the the kind of rollicking kind of uh, discussion we had about Woody Allen and Blue Jasmine. Maybe because because Woody Allen's my favorite uh, my favorite director, and maybe because I thought we had a good productive argument in that yeah. too, where we we had some different um, analyses or interpretations of the of the film. Um, so I think that was kind of my favorite um, my favorite episode, but it's not. It's close. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So uh, it's close. I liked everything we've done, to be honest with you. Um, but the that Bob Burgoyne one was the one that I've listened to again. That's one of the only ones I've listened to after. Because, I mean, I edit all these or most of these, so I'm listening to them anyway. <laughs> but that's the one I listened to actually from the feed. <laughs> so, um, But that one and, like I said, the Woody Allen one, I thought we did a I think I thought that was a good discussion, but I've liked everything that we've done so far. And just to recap, also the genesis of this: this all started the three of us drinking beer at uh, at Whole Foods, right? right. Which I know sounds right. weird to those of you who've never done it, but there's a bar in Whole Foods, and it's got good, you know, inexpensive beer. And we were talking about it, right? That was kind of like where this really started rolling, right? Right. Yeah. Um, at least for the three of us together, I think Nick and I had talked about it earlier, right, Nick? Yes. And then, um, and then we had we we're having the beer, and then Chris is like, "I want to go, you know, I want to do this too." Like, I was like, "Fantastic," you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's we bought our microphones, and you know, trying to. I mean, we're figuring this stuff out as we go, as you can tell. If you listen to our first few versus um, our last few, you can see a, a change in quality for sure. But um, I hope, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, knock on wood, right? But um, but yeah, I think yeah, I think the Woody Allen one, so far. Yeah. So, yeah. But you pegged me for the Burgoyne one, huh? 
Oh, Nick? That would have been, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. That would have been, yeah, but I can see why that, clearly, I mean, I love that episode, too. You know, that We was, had some technical difficulties on that one, too. We but did. It, didn't, um, it came out okay, though. Well, it was so. just nice chatting with Bob. It's been a yeah. while since we, yeah. the three of us had sat down. We have some good guests lined up, or uh, potentially lined up, too. So I think uh, 2014 will have some some good guests, um, I think. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> I'm not giving it anything away. Yeah. Al Jolson say. Yeah. Any other reflections on the past uh, eight months or however long it's been? Uh, it's been a great ride, man. I mean, I'm, I've, I've had a wonderful time doing this and, and I think we can do it for, you know, until for, for many years until we're whenever. And, and I, I told, uh, Eric once when we were driving or something, I said, you know, this is, uh, certainly for posterity's sake, it's a, it's a sort of oral record of, um, it reminded me very much of, uh, I mean, I think I made the um, allusion to uh, Crap's Last Tape. Remember that, Eric? And, um, um, I think that was, hold on, let me check, but I want to make sure I've got the author right because, uh, yeah, it's Beckett, Samuel Beckett. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, where where he's he reflects, uh, it's a sort of like absurdist, you know, sort of one act, I think, perhaps, Crap's Last Tape. A play where he's sort of like listening to all these tape recordings of his life as a younger man and as a oh. age man and older man and then reflecting on mistakes and, and whatever. <laughs> and uh, I, I always thought that this is sort of, you know, like a crap's last tape type thing, except minus the melancholy. It's this is us sort of like coming together and recording our thoughts and for for all time, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah. we can yeah. look back in 20 years at these, the technology, you know, will be there where we can listen to these and mm-hmm. hear our voices and, and measure our, our reception to films or what was going on in our lives. It's a, it's a very cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I, I agree with you there a hundred percent, especially with the nostalgia thing, being able to look back on this and, um, you know, kind of the these the, the oral history project nature of this, mm-hmm. and yeah. it'll be interesting to see. You know, because we all have different things going on in our lives, and um, it'll be interesting to see where you know where where we are in, in fifteen twenty years. Yeah, um, our ideas and thing different different things that have that have gone on, but you know, we can we can do it as long as we want, and that's uh, you know, and that's that's really the the, the cool thing about it is um, no matter where we all end up. You know, we're all academics, so it's it's uh, it's possible we we might get scattered across the country or even yeah. across the world throughout our careers. But um, the technology allows us to 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 do this and to always be connected and to 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 keep 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 it going. And I yeah. I, just, I absolutely love that. Do you guys have any New Year's resolutions for the podcast? <laughs> uh. Ooh, good question. I'm not. I'll, I'll start. I mean, I'm not a resolution person, really, but I would like, like, I mean, 2014, like to, um, you know, see, a, see, a, um, a, you know, kind of a, a, a steady schedule, you know, um, every couple of weeks, uh, maybe like the first and the fifteenth or something. But you know what I'd like yeah. to do? I would love to see if we could maybe um, do like a live event or two. Um, either like one thing I was thinking is we all go see a film together and then record right after the you know like with our raw impressions I like that. just after the film I, like, I, I think really that would be fun uh, while we're still geographically close 
right? right. Um, I think that would be cool. And then maybe do like a live event with an audience, uh, maybe after a screening or something like that. I think that would be kind of fun too. I mean, talk about logistics, logistical nightmares, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I would be willing to give that a shot if you guys want to do that, something with sure. an audience somewhere. Maybe, oh, like yeah. the, maybe the Maple, we could uh, get them involved or, you know, some like a local theater or something. I think those would be fun things to do. I agree. I think that's mm-hmm. a great idea. Um, oh, I love yeah. it. I yeah. guess I have one I can think of. Is in uh, uh, in addition to what you just said, Eric, which I think is for sure. Let's <laughs> let's make that happen. I guess the resolution I would make is I I want to get a um, uh, for lack of a better word, I'll just say celebrity on the show Uh, by celebrity i mean either someone in behind the scenes on a film worked on a film or tv series or in it was in front of the camera one or the other yeah Uh, and so i want to try and get some bigger names bigger names to let yeah so yeah that's or yeah or people who are involved in filmmaking on on kind of larger hollywood films stuff like that right yeah Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Get, get writers or directors or or actors who worked on a film yeah. and want to talk about, you know. Yeah. Well, Paul Schrader was clamoring to get on this podcast, but we had to say no because uh, the. Uh, I'm yeah. just joking. <laughs> 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 Maybe next year. What about you, Chris? Any any thoughts? I, I, uh, I'm putting you guys on the spot, which I like to do, but. But you know, it, it really just echoes everything that you guys have said. Stick yeah. to it. You know, go do a regular schedule like a. I like the idea of like a a first and the 15th type deal, mm. uh, but also getting, getting a celebrity, getting somebody who's, you know, juiced into the industry to, uh, to come and, and, and talk. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. The whole idea of a live event um, would be, would be a lot of fun and just adding different segments, you know, I, the, with the email, yeah. once we get people emailing in doing like a, a mailbag, you know, um, oh, I would love that. All of yeah. our, all of yeah. our, all of our fans. <laughs> That's what I was alluding to with the mail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nope, it's time for mailbag. You know. Yeah, I'm 100 percent behind that. I think that's good. That'd be funny, that, funny sound effect. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. Um, there you go. Yeah. Some, yeah. Some, some, something, something like that. I think would be, um, you know, uh, just a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, yeah. You <laughs> know, it, 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 it would be. You know. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, these aren't promises uh, by any stretch of the imagination, listeners. Just hopes and resolutions, except for the email thing. No, that's a promise. <laughs> we can promise that. But uh, yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Cool. Excellent. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to episode number sixteen. That's a rapshow.com, Facebook, Twitter, email. Uh, we love to hear from you. And uh, once again, I'm Eric Marshall. I'm Mitch Lego. And I'm Chris Gullen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right, cool. That's a wrap. Cut. That's a wrap.